Father in heaven, Lord, thank you today that we can be in your word. And we want your word to be in us. So make that transaction again today through the foolishness of preaching, but hopefully not the preaching of foolishness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've been on a journey studying through the book of Nehemiah, and I'm kind of sad because we're almost done. How many have enjoyed the book of Nehemiah? Amen. And uh, if you have suggestions about what's the next book we should go through our next semester, please let me know. Some people have mentioned various books, but I kind of like preaching through books to see what God has to say. And so just let me know if you have ideas or things you think that you'd like to see. Today we're in Nehemiah chapter 12, so turn with me in the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 12. And in Nehemiah chapter 12, um, like every chapter in Nehemiah, when I first look at it, I go, what in the world is there? <laughs> but then as I read through it <clears throat> several times, I said, why did I not see that before? And the focus to today's chapter is celebration and dedication. The dedication and celebration of God's people at the completion of the wall. But you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. <clears throat> Wasn't that wall completed way back in chapter 7? Yes, 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 it was. But there's more than just the physical material things in life. We not only need to build our houses and our churches and our buildings and our clinics, we need to be rebuilt spiritually. We need, we, we need our, our, our walls to be rebuilt. And we need to willingly want to be a part of God's work. Willing volunteers in His work. Before we're ready to set people aside with dedication. We just had a dedication prayer with with um, Clive and RJ to be elders, and that was not something we just sprung on them. They have been dedicating their lives voluntarily in hospitality and other areas that helps us know they're already dedicated. So this is not like a shock. Nobody was going, oh, no! <laughs> you know, because there had already been that work of surrender and dedication willingly. That word dedication is of interest. When you look it up in the original, it's word root, the root word shanak, which means to narrow, to initiate, or discipline, to train up. So when you're dedicating something, let's say you're dedicated to a musical instrument, let's say, and you're teaching a musical instrument, you tell people, look, if you spend X amount of hours, you're going to be pretty good at that instrument. If you don't put in the time, you cannot really play that well. My dad really believed this growing up, so we practiced about one to three hours a day. And if we did something wrong, it could go upwards to four or five. So, um, yes, dedication, narrowing, focus. Um, and <clears throat> that's what the word dedication means. And of course, the wall is a metaphor for the people. <clears throat> the schools of the prophets, we've used this quote a number of times, but once again, were intended to serve as a barrier against the widespreading corruption and to provide for the mental, spiritual welfare of the youth. So people would come to that school of the prophet as teachers or students voluntarily, voluntarily, knowing there were high standards, right? Because they were rebuilding the wall and the instructors and the students need to have a special endowment of the Spirit. Secondly, notice who's being sought out for in the dedication. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, who did they seek out? What does it say in the text? They sought out who? Verse 27. 
They sat out who? I like to hear you talk back. That means you're actually using your mind. And I'm not just talking to myself, although I have been known to talk to myself. Not so much about myself, but to myself. So they sought out the Levites in all their places. Thanks, Dad, for giving me support. He came forward. Usually when I was younger, that meant something bad. So <laughs> sought out Levites in all their places. Had a little flashback there. Um, to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate dedication. So they're seeking out the Levites. And why is it they're seeking out the Levites? Verse 30. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves, it says, purified the people, purified the gates and the walls. So the reason they were seeking out the Levites was for what reason? For purification. How many of you like to clean things? How many of you like to clean things? How many of you, your favorite tool is the power washer? How many of you like to clean your teeth? How many of you like, how many, how many, but let me ask you this. How many of you like to be cleaned? Like, you know, we got some people who are specialists in getting rid of, you know, bags into your eyes or, or nodules or whatever you want to call these different things. And they clean all day, right? And, but how many of you like to be cleaned? Would you like someone to change your diapers tomorrow? No, because you don't wear that. But when you're younger, you get cleaned by other people a lot. And when you're older, right? And sometimes people get nervous about being clean. You don't just let anybody clean you, right? But the Levites were meant for that work of purification, of cleansing of the people, of the wall, of the gates. That would be doctrinally the gates were, that was a whole plan of salvation. You had the sheep gate, you had the fish gate. So they're cleaning up the, the doctrine of salvation, the, the fish gate, evangelism, the old gate, how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together, right? The valley gate, what to do when you're in a valley. The refuse gate, what to do when you have uh, problems that are needing to be eliminated. The horse gate, what do you do in conflict? All these different things. The Levites were specialists at making sure those gates were functioning, they were clean, they were well-oiled. So doctrinally, this is kind of what an elder does today. But also, it was confronting people. Sometimes people need their act cleaned up. And uh, they need help. And you can really tell a lot about a people by the way they relate to their spiritual leaders. Uh, Nehemiah, though he had built the wall physically, had deferred in the last several chapters to Ezra, the priest, and the Levites for the work of spiritual purification. So some people, you know, um, have a hard time deferring. I don't want the pastor telling me anything to do. I don't want to hear something from a spiritual leader. I, I do that myself. I have a do-it-yourself Messiah kit at home. I have my own nativity set that I carry around me. We heard a children's story about that. But they actually think they're actually serving in those functions. Not to mean that there's a priesthood of all believers. We know that. But here they're looking and they're saying, we want to be cleansed. And we don't mind if an imperfect individual can be involved in that. Were all the Levites perfect? No, they needed help as well. But look at verse 44 to see how they related. Because they're converted. Remember, they rebuilt the wall, but then they were reading the word. They were committing. They were signing a covenant. They had all these different jobs to do in the, in the chapters before. So they truly were voluntarily converted. 
But notice how they then treated the priests and Levites. Verse 44 at the very end of the verse. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. They did what? Rejoice. We kind of rejoiced over the ministry of these two elders right now. But sometimes when they have to do the work of purifying and cleansing, sometimes it's hard to rejoice. But there is a connection in this text between purity and rejoicing. Purity and rejoicing. Purity and rejoicing. Notice how he naturally does that. So we're going to sing Rejoice Ye Pure in Heart, that first verse. How's it go? Rejoice. Let's sing it together. Rejoice ye pure in heart. Rejoice, give thanks and sing. Your festal banner wave on high. The cross of Christ, your King. Rejoice, 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 give thanks and sing joy to the world. See? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. Heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Third verse. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Notice that verse. Look at this. Joy comes after this cleansing. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. So he wants us to rejoice and have blessings, but we really can't be, have a dedication Unless we've had that cleansing that goes before. Before actual joy comes purification. How we can see the connection. And that's why we can sing joy to the world. Jesus came to cleanse things. We prepare in our hearts room for him. Hallelujah. And that's what we see in this, in this text. It'll be a little bit of time you can relax back in the soft chair there. So dedication, consecration is preceded by discipleship. This discipleship and revival and reformation was carried forward by the Levites. They purified themselves, the people in the walls. This inspection, this confrontation, this purification was seen as something to rejoice in, something to be sought after because these people were increasingly converted. I mean, I tell you what, I think about the times Levites have confronted me, leaders. I remember I was taking homiletics class. My homiletics students, I don't know if they're here because I was with them the hour before. Any homiletics students here or in the past? Okay, right there. And you know it, John. I've confronted you, right, during your sermons. And, and I've, I've, I've trained you. And this is, but I've got to tell you what happened to me when I was in homiletics class. I was preaching my first sermon, and I was nervous, of course, so it was very humorous. 
And that's what happens when I'm nervous. And everything rhymed. It was like it was a masterpiece of rap. It was, and, it, and it was terrible. It was actually awful because it was just a way of, you know, if I can rhyme this again, they'll still pay attention. And they certainly did. And the professor got up and he said, stop! I mean, this is in front of everybody, John. It's like in the church. Stop! We need no more of that. And that was it. That was the end of my sermon. <laughs> end. And then he came to visit later on. He visited my room. Uh, you know, nice visit to come and follow up a, a nice public rebuke like that. And, you know, so he, he comes and he says, I just wanted to stop by and let you know that we want absolutely none of that kind of preaching in God's church. That was totally wrong what you did. And he, he just basically went down the line. And then he started crying. And he said, this is really hard. It was really hard for me to say that. I said, it was really hard for me to hear that. <laughs> so this was the job of, of Levites. Judge me, O oh God. Cleanse me. And those involved in this work, at this point in their history, are not being dismissed. They're being sought after. They're being taken care of. They're being rejoiced in. <laughs> just like a person rejoicing over their power washer. Wow, I just love how that cleans. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. You know, it's not really about you many times when you're being confronted. It's about the work. It's about the mission. It has nothing to do personally with a person. Does that make sense? Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable to you. If you talk someone that's been used by God or being used by God to confront you out of doing that, what have you just done? You've silenced the voice of God in your life and you've said, I don't want that. So it's not profitable to you. That doesn't mean people don't misuse that position or do things always correctly. But how many of you want Levites in your life? Because this attitude was in place, an attitude of thanksgiving to God, they were thankful for the leadership of the Levites and the priests and Ezra and Nehemiah who got them out of Babylon. And they brought them back. And if we turn at his rebuke and chastening, it says he'll pour out his spirit. And what are the fruits of the spirit? What are the fruits of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is what? Love. How many think we need love? By the way, the Greek construction there is the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then the others flow out of it. So love is the big thing. And then flows out of it joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, you know, temperance, self-control, or gentleness. They flow out of what? Love. How many of you need the Holy Spirit in your life today? The Bible says that He pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 5. And then those fruits come, and they never as a result of you. They're always the result of God. You don't have love. You don't have love. Look at your husband or wife and say, you don't have love unless you get it from above. Marco's not doing it. She just started smiling. <laughs> but 
But that's true. How many think that's true? How many of you know that's true? How many of you just don't know what to think about what I'm saying? <laughs> Love is of God. Love is of God. And, uh, you know, when you have love in your heart, great peace have they which love thy law, nothing shall offend them. They're not keeping records of wrongs. That doesn't mean there aren't some things that have boundaries where you say that's too far and we need to really discuss it. But, uh, so, bottom line, true joy then comes from what? It's the result of true dedication. It's not manufactured. It's a process of purification that's led by God through the water of the washing of his word and through the ministry of others, maybe our husbands, maybe our wives, maybe the Levites, maybe the elders. But notice where it really comes from, true joy, verse 43. And that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Who was it that was making them love God? Who was making them rejoice or joy and then rejoy, rejoice? Who was making them do that? That was from God. And they were offering then sacrifices of praise to God. Focus of the praise in this chapter ultimately centers on God and his temple because he's the one that's giving the love and he's the one that's giving the joy. Look at Psalm 27, verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Yes, I will sing. I will sing praises to the Lord. The whole purpose of the sacrifices of praise and joy was to come to the temple, to come to the tabernacle and say, Hallelujah! Halil, Yahweh, Yahweh, you're the one to be praised. Praise of the Lord. The Halil Psalms were the ones that went up. And they went up towards the temple. Hallelujah. Not Hallelujah or Clive. Hallelujah. Right? So, true dedication, when it's in place, then true dedicatory celebrations can take place. So many times weddings and other celebrations and different things we have of dedication, the people are not really dedicated. And so what happens, it's a farce. Or you go to a church that doesn't want to really have the word preached, doesn't like the Levites, <laughs> um, then, then, then uh, yes. I like this little guy. Stay up here with me for a while. So you want to leave now? So at the dedication, they were truly ready. This is like a baby dedication maybe right now. Um, so they were ready. And notice what happens. Notice what happens in verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate, celebrate the dedication with gladness and with thanksgiving. And with singing and cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. Eric plays the harp. He just dipped it to the side and put some wood around it. That's a harp. And um, they had those. Maybe not that big, but they had these. And notice it was with gladness. So the word gladness there means glee, mirth, or pleasure. Samach means to brighten up, to cheer up. 
And I think sometimes we, we don't get that enough. We don't have enough rejoicing. There's joy in the journey. There's joy in the journey. There's rejoicing in the journey. Um, look at Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back Psalm 126, it was the Day of Atonement Psalm. Look at it. Look at it. When the Lord, that's Yahweh, it's L-O-R-D, that's the judge. When he brought back the captivity of Zion, he made a judgment. He says, okay, you've been there 70 years, you're coming out. We were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with what? Laughter. Who filled it with laughter? God did. And our tongue with singing. And they said among the nations, they said among the what? Nations. The purpose of joy is to reach the who? Nations, as we sang last night, or the choir was singing, joy to the world. The people that came from the community, they started to clap and rejoice. They didn't know we say amen here, right? But they were expressing joy. They didn't even know when the Hallelujah Chorus ends or when other pieces, remember that, they started clapping before that. You could tell they hadn't heard that. It was so great to have them with us. Wasn't that great? And they were expressing joy and glee and happiness because they were hearing that music of the Messiah. So the Lord has done great for them things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Same word, glad. You know, were it not for grace, were it not for what? Were it not for grace, they never would have got out of that place. It was God's mercy and it was his grace that got them out of the place. Yes or no? And that's the whole point of Nehemiah 9. Remember? All those things of God's mercy, how he got them out, and they actually appointed people to sing about mercy and about grace. Never forget it. The entire Old Testament, everyone, anyone who was saved was saved by grace. Right? So they rejoiced about that. So God created laughter. He created mirth. He created singing. It was meant to reach the nations. He meant to, it to bring glory to his name. Even on the Day of Atonement. As a Day of Atonement people, sometimes I talk to people and say, we're living in the Day of Atonement, so we have to, to, we have to act really sad, never glad, always maybe kind of mad. Nothing could be further from the truth if the joy is the joy of the Lord. Man, I'm surprised no people didn't say amen to that. But nothing could be further from the truth if the joy is from the Lord. And that's what it says in Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's look a little more at the laughter part in a minute. But look at the choirs where they're positioned. Verse 31. There are two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. And then the other, verse 38, the other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. And it names all the gates. And so how many choirs were there? Where were they standing? Where were they standing? They were on the wall. <clears throat> what were they doing? <clears throat> Singing. Did they have music? Did they have instruments? And why should this make us chuckle a little bit? Because they're all up on the wall. All the people on the wall. We were in Turkey this last year and some of our, some of our group got up on the wall. I see some of these uh, Turkish trespassers here today. And they got called down off the wall. They said, the wall might fall. Remember that in Nehemiah 4? 
Tobiah the Amorite, if you go up on that wall, it will fall. Even if you were a fox who was starved, maybe a picture of a fox that had starved <laughs> would make it fall over. But now they're up there and they're all, the entire nation or all the leadership is up on top of the wall and they're all singing antiphonally one side, then the other side. And they're going back and forth, back and forth. It's like they're moving along the wall. <laughs> and guess where they're moving towards? Well, they're moving towards the house of the Lord. So the choir on that side and the choir on this side, they're moving. They're singing thanksgiving. They're joyful and they're moving towards the sheep gate where the lamb was slain. They're moving towards Jesus. They're moving towards the cross. They're moving towards the temple. Can you say hallelujah? You know. And I think God laughed. I think he probably sang with them, sent the angels to sing, but I think he laughed. Look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why did the nations rage and plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. Let's cast away their cords from us. Goes on later in that psalm to talk about the Messiah who would come. People tried to stop the Messiah's birth. People were afraid of the Messiah being born. But did that stop that labor and delivery? Even though there was a beast in the birthing room, according to Revelation 12? No. No. Just like nothing could stop the delivery of a number of babies here in this congregation last week. <laughs> nothing could stop it. Jesus was born. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hmm. Let us break their bonds and cast away their cords. He who sits in the heavens, verse 4 of Psalm 2, shall laugh. He shall hold them in derision. I think sometimes our response to what people are doing wrong should be laughter. My mother's anniversary of her death was this past week, December 1st. But my mother was a great laugher. She laughed a lot. Whenever I said something wrong, I was headed the wrong direction. I don't know why. She would not get mad. She would just laugh. She would go, oh, man, that is the craziest. <laughs> um, what did you say? <laughs> and then I'd say it again, and she would just laugh. She laughed at all of us. She laughed at my dad. Oh, Charles. I said, can't you hear it? Oh, Charles. <laughs> I heard that a thousand times a day almost. Not that you were that bad, but she would... <laughs> You come forward to the front, I remember things, okay? So uh, she would laugh. And, 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 and you know what? That just made the difference. It was like Levite laughter. Cleansing laughter. You know. <laughs> oh, man. And it was corrective laughter. It was like the Lord doing here in Psalm 2. Notice the focus of the choirs now. Chapter 12, verse 40 the two thanksgiving choirs, notice what it says, they stood in the house of God. What? What? The whole purpose of the choir was to be where? To stand where? Not next to the house of God, not on the way 
to the house of God, but the purpose was to be in the house of God. <laughs> Some of you are the first time in the house of God today. This is a good place to be because it's a place of true purity that leads to true joy. Right? If it's done right. And it's not to be outside the church. It's in the church. The church means ek kaleo, out, calling out. The calling out of the world into the church. Why do we come to church? Is there any benefit? We know. We know from science, actually, that your, your risk of suicide is 80-some percent lower if you're going to church regularly. Why? Because you die here. You die to self. So you're already dead. So you don't have to kill yourself. You are dead to self and you're living to God. Can you say hallelujah? We kill a lot of people here. <laughs> or we should say better, we bury a lot of people here in baptism. And that's a symbol of what? Someone says to me, in the Old Testament they killed people, New Testament they don't. No, that's not true. In the New Testament, people are dying all the time. They're dying to self. They're getting baptized. It's a spiritual death. And when you die to that, then you are able to die. You crucify the lusts of the flesh. You're not in church, and you're not regulated there. You're going to do stuff that gets you depressed. That's why depression risk goes up outside of the church. That's why all these different things happen that we see. That's actually because you're not in the temple of God. How many want to be in the temple? Not a mamby-pamby temple. You want Levites there that have got power washers. <laughs> and you want mostly the water of the washing of the word. That word washes you. It corrects, it redirects you. And is that true today? Is our worship to be filled with sacrifices of praise? Are we supposed to be pointing people to the sanctuary today? This is the big point of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. This is the main point of the things we're saying. We have a sanctuary in the heavens. This is the main point of the book of Revelation 11, 19. Then the temple of the, uh, of the covenant was opened in heaven. And the ark of the covenant was seen. This is the commandments, right? This is the whole idea of Psalm 16. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you're in the church... You're most high, and you're getting all kinds of pleasures you never could get on Fifth Street in the hood, the neighborhood, right? So I love Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, because this is a New Testament application of the Nehemiah experience. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God, the grace of God is what's driving it, were it not for grace, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that's the sacrifice of praise, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may what? Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of what? What part of the sanctuary is the will of God kept in? Most holy place. Notice sacrifices moving towards the most holy place, even in the New Testament language. Because I delight to do thy will, oh my God, your law is written in my heart and in my mind. Not by me, but by you. Hallelujah. 
And so in the New Testament, it's doing the same thing. It says, look, we're rebuilding the wall. We're moving towards, we're moving towards the lamb. We're moving towards the temple. We're moving towards all those different things. Powerful picture really here when you think about it. Powerful picture. And it reminds me of that song. What's that song? You listened. Did you remember on your own? Let me see. I'm testing him out. Okay. Sing, let's sing that song. Come we that love the Lord. Listen, listen to the words now. Listen, listen to the word. Come we that And let what? And let what? Our joys be known. Join in the song with sweet Join in the song with and do what? Surround what? Surround the throne. We're doing what? We're, we're on the wall. We're marching. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to heavenly Zion. That beautiful city. Is it good there? The hill of Zion in a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the heavenly before we reach the heavenly or walk the golden streets or walk the golden streets what are we doing we're marching to Zion beautiful beautiful Zion we're marching Heavenly Zion, that beautiful city of God. You know, some people say that sin is fun. I want to just have the pleasures of sin for a season. Notice the Bible says there are pleasures in sin, but it's only for a season. A very short season. Right? Because the devil is out there in that season. He calls it hunting season. You can have some pleasures, just like the prodigal. But it's not the place. It's not like the golden streets. It's not the sweets. It's not the joy of Zion. Because the way it transgresses is, is basically hard. Basically hard. But the way of the Lord, oh man, it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> And those of you who have taken a little walk on the wild side know what I'm talking about. The way it transgresses is hard. And so get on the wall. <laughs> Ask for the Levites to power wash you. <laughs> Read the Bible. Come back to the Lord. Get up. Make a statement. Don't stay in the valley of the shadow of death. Get on the wall. And march with thanksgiving towards Jesus who's drawing you with his cross. What a powerful chapter this has been, hasn't it? Let's close with one last thing. Notice verse 44 through 47. And at the same time, some years, not years, at the same time, some were appointed, verse 44, over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings and the first fruits and the tithes together into them from the fields of the cities, the portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, 
both the singers and the gatekeepers and even the people playing the piano, kept charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. In the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of singers, songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. And they consecrated holy things for the Levites. And the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. What's this saying? What's it saying? Part of dedication is what? Financial support. Because where your money is, there your heart will be also. When a people are revived, when a people are revived, money is not an issue. When a people are revived, money is not an issue. When a people are revived, money is not an issue. I was talking to a Levite the other day. His name's Paul Rodsara. I had, I had uh, some people went in with me. We appreciate his ministry, so we bought him an iPad. He was tempted to covet my iPad. And I saw him narrowly, very close to breaking the 10th commandment. I said, we can't have a Levite that breaks the 10th commandment. They can't have it happen. So I went and bought him an iPad. But I was talking to him. And I was talking, what happens in an organization when you have these differences of priorities? What should be first? What should be? He goes, look, done, done, done. I think we were in the middle of the woods somewhere. Done. That's not an issue with revival because you can do everything. You don't have to worry about not having one part of it done. You can do it all because God provides it all. How many think that's true? How many think that's true? Very true. What a wonderful chapter this has been. And really related to the Christmas story, isn't it? So how many of you want to enter in to a time of rejoicing and celebration this Christmas season that truly is a rededication to Jesus. How many want to, want to open yourself to what that takes? Some of you may to be, need to be making commitment to be washed by the water of the word. Some of you may need to be making a commitment to be washed in the waters of baptism. Some of you may need to be saying, I'm going to declare myself and get up on the wall. I'm going to praise. I'm going to rejoice. I don't know what it is. But how many wanted to actually seek out God's word? Seek out the Levites. Rejoice in the power washing God may want to give you. How many want this to truly be a Christmas season where Christ is there in your heart? The Bible says there's joy over one sinner who repents. They change their mind. And we're going to sing that song, Angels We Have Heard on High, as we close. And if you have changed your mind today, or you want your mind changed, 
you're saying, you know what? You know what? <laughs> I'm at the dung gate. I'm at the refuse gate of life. God still loves you. He just doesn't want you to exit that gate. He wants to have you come back in. He didn't hate the prodigal. He loved the prodigal. He didn't follow the prodigal. But he stayed so the prodigal could come back. And that whole, that whole complex with the walls, the safety within the walls, within his city, within his temple, he wants you all there. That's his package. He knows you're selfish. He knows all kinds of people are selfish. And that's why there's a daily washing of the water of the word. He knows you're prone to fall off the wall. But he wants you inside the wall. He wants you inside the city. And as we sing the song of joy, <laughs> angels we have heard on high. And, and you sense I'm not in that city like I need to be. <laughs> then get in the city. Come forward. Say, God, I want to be in the city. I want to be with the angels. I want to be singing. I want to have thanksgiving. I want to be washed. I want to be cleansed. And I want to be a part of the solution. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.